Welcome back to Ceasefire Podcast. And we got a special one for you today. Destroying the Divide is the theme of what we do here, having cultural conversations. And we got into tech in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to do a special episode about humans and technology and react to about a 10-minute long video talking about at what level humans and technology will be intersecting in the near future. And so for the flyover for this first segment, we're mainly going to watch the video with periodic maybe reactions and thoughts. But in the trenches in the debrief, we're going to really get down to the meat of what we think. Andrew might have very specific reasons why tech and human integration would be helpful for him right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, just so you understand, I, I'm not feeling well today. <laughs> yeah. Sore throat. Really we, well, we, we skipped a week, too. They don't know that, because when these finally go out, they'll have no idea. Yeah, we and skipped last week. week I was vomitous, so, like, I've just had a rough week. Yeah, yeah. We can do an episode when he feels crummy, but we didn't want to do an episode where he'd be, like, ralphing, so we... Uh... I mean, it might have been cool. <laughs> I offered. I, I, I would not have been able to do it, and the, the audience at home might have thought it was great, but I would have been miserable having to deal with it. I can't be... A, I get, like... I'm sympathetic. (laughs) Sympathetic Ralpher. So, we have a new scene that we're going to use. It's super fancy. Look at that. We're small and off to the side. And right next to us is going to be the video. And the name of this video is... Let me me get the full name. I want to get the name right. It is, Mm. Humans Will Merge with AI in 10 Years. Ray Kurzweil and Lex Fridman. I, I'm supp- I'm supposing that Lex is the guy that hosts the show, right? Because it's called Lex Clips. So these are clips from his mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Ray Kurzweil, I believe that's how we're supposed to say his name. He's going to be the one primarily talking. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, and, may- and maybe maybe we'll have him on. Oh, that'd be point. amazing to get him. Yeah. He yeah. ends up seeing this awesome. Okay, let's 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 take a look. I'm going to turn our music off for now. And then mm-hmm. that way you guys watching the episode can hear everything he's saying. And if Andrew and I have thoughts, we'll pause it. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Another step then is in the 2030s when we can actually connect our neocortex, which is where we do our thinking, to computers. And, I mean, j- just as this actually gains a lot to being connected to computers that will amplify its abilities... I mean, if this did not have any connection, it, it would be pretty stupid. It, it could not answer any of your questions. Yeah, what do you got? Uh, he's holding up a smartphone. Oh. It's important. Yes. And, and they do say it later in the video. But if you're, li- you're listening, you're not watching the video, um, you wouldn't know that he's doing that. Right, right. And we're hoping Resume. that video format hits everywhere. But yeah, he's holding up a smartphone. Yeah. If you're just listening to this, by the way, Ray's holding up the uh, the all-powerful <laughs> yeah. uh, smartphone. So we're going to do that directly from our brains. I mean, these are pretty good. These already have amplified our intelligence. I'm already much smarter than I would otherwise be if I didn't have this. Because I remember when I first spoke The Age of Intelligent Machines, uh, there was no way to get uh, information from computers. I actually would go to a library find a book, find the page that had an information I wanted, and I'd go to the copier, and my most 
significant uh, information tool was a roll of quarters where I could feed the, the copier. Yeah. So we're do you remember doing that? I remember doing that. Like yes. any time I had to do like a research project or a research paper and I don't, See, I don't know what that's done to my brain, but like information is no longer at arm's length. Like I don't have to go searching, you know. I saw somebody joke once that if you were sitting around with your friends 10 years ago and you couldn't remember the name of the actor in that show, you just mm. you just didn't get to figure it out, right? Somebody well yeah. maybe not 10 years ago, but when we were kids, you'd have to go home and maybe try to find the the VHS tape or like try to find out who it was, but now it's like IMDb, like in 10 seconds you know who it is. Yep. So yeah, I mean that's a rabbit hole too, right? Like almost like a dilution of the reverence that we should have for information. Like we don't we don't treat it with reverence anymore. It's so easily obtainable within seconds. I mean, and uh, let's <laughs> apply that to relationships, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like nothing means anything anymore. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You you. I'm, if you start to see reality in that way, there's no reverence for the information. There's no reverence for deep knowledge or cool things. Then you might treat people the same way. If you're viewing them through the technological lens, you would do the same Correct. thing. Correct. Correct. Um, and and I, I don't think that that can be overstated enough. Yeah. We'll get into that in a later segment. Sure. Already greatly advanced that we have these things. There's a few problems with it. First of all, I, I constantly put it down and I don't remember where I put it. I've actually never lost it, but um, you have to find it and then you have to turn it on. So there's a certain amount of steps. It would actually be quite useful if someone would just listen to your conversation and say, uh, oh, that's you know, so-and-so actress and, and tell you what you're talking about. So going from active to passive where it just permeates your whole life. Yeah, exactly. The way your brain does when you're awake. Your brain is always there. Right. Now, that's something that could actually just just about be done today, where you would listen to your conversation, understand what you're saying, understand what you're uh, not missing, and give you that information. But another step is to actually go inside your brain. Yeah. Uh, and there are some prototypes where you can connect your brain they actually don't have the, the amount of bandwidth that we need. They can work, but they work fairly slowly. Pause that really quickly. Yep. So there's an there there's a formula uh, to uh, the idea of singularity or transhumanism, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you need a certain amount of computing power added to. Um, Gosh, it's escaping me right now. But him bringing up the, the idea of bandwidth or computing power is kind of the missing element uh, between us and singularity, hmm. essentially. That yeah. Was, that was I my mean, thought. That, well, if you think about it, the bandwidth required for that level of speed and recall and that sort of dynamic way that we think like we can bounce from one thing to another very quickly that's mm -hmm. that that doesn't surprise me that that's one of the hang-ups and then the, the bandwidth needed the speed with which they would need would mm -hmm. require 
technology that would probably be pretty cumbersome. Like if you were going to try to wear it or like put it in somebody's brain, it would probably be pretty big, even though computing power, yeah. you know, gets better and better and the pieces get smaller and smaller. The bandwidth speed is an interesting snag that they're running into. Mm-hmm. So if, if it actually would connect to your neocortex and the neocortex, which I describe in how to create a mind, uh, the neocortex is actually, uh, it has different levels. And as you go up the levels, it's kind of like a pyramid. The top level is fairly small. And that's the level where you want to connect uh, these brain extenders. Um, so I believe that will happen in the 2030s. We will actually... Hmm. So just the way this is greatly amplified by being connected to the cloud, uh, we can connect our own brain to the cloud and uh, just do what we can do by using this machine. Do you think it would look like uh, the brain-computer interface uh, of like Neuralink? So would it be... Well, Neuralink is an attempt to do that. It doesn't have the bandwidth that we need. Um, Yet, right? Uh, right. But I, I think, I mean, they're going to get permission for this because there are a lot of people who absolutely need it because they can't communicate. And I know a couple of people like that who have ideas and they cannot, they don't... They cannot move their muscles and so on. They can't communicate. Uh, so f for them, this would be very valuable. But we could all use it. Basically, it'd be uh, turn us into something that would be like we have a phone, but it would be in our minds. It would be kind of instantaneous. And maybe communication between two people would not require this low bandwidth mechanism of language. Yes, a spoken word. Exactly. We, we don't know he what says that, that would be, although face. we do know that uh, computers can share information like language instantly. They can share many, many books in, in a second. So we could do that as well. What's funny too is that it, he's saying this with this, it's coming, you know, 2030s, he thinks it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's almost like phase one already has happened, though, because the way that we use these cell phones and carry them with us, we've already integrated with the tech. We just haven't done it in a deep, almost invasive physical way. We, we yeah. carry them with us everywhere. It's a part of your life. It's an extension of your existence and reality now. And the way that we communicate with other people, that's the primary means that we do it. So it's already happened. Mm -hmm. phase, phase one of this the, you know, tech integration with the human mind, it's already taken place. If you look at what our brain does, it actually can manipulate different parameters. So we, we talk about these large language models. Um, I mean, I, I had written that uh, it requires a certain amount of information in order to uh, be effective and that we would not see AI really being effective until it got to that level. Mm -hmm. And we had large language models that were like 10 billion bytes, didn't work very well. They finally got to 100 billion bytes and now they work fairly well and, and now we're going to a, a trillion bytes. If you say... Uh, Lambda has a hundred billion bytes. Uh, 
What does that mean? Well, what what if you had something that had one byte, one one parameter? Maybe you want to tell whether or not something's uh, an elephant or not, and so you put in something that would detect its trunk. If it has a trunk, it's an elephant. If it doesn't have a trunk, it's not an elephant. And that would work, work fairly well. There's a few problems with it. Uh, and it really wouldn't be able to tell what a trunk is, but anyway. And maybe other things other than elephants have trunks. You yes. might get really confused. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure which animals have trunks, but you know. <laughs> plus, how do you define a trunk? But yeah, that's one parameter. You, you so can do okay. <laughs> so these things have 100 billion parameters. So they're able yes. to deal with very complex issues. All kinds of trunks. Human beings actually have a little bit more than that, but they're, they're getting to the point where they can emulate humans. This reminds me of a book I read on speed reading, and it talked about how if you were to see me in, the sh in a shopping mall, like walking, you wouldn't mm -hmm. have to take a bunch of seconds to be like, oh, glasses, hair, beard. You, you, you know instantly it's me. You see all mm -hmm. of me, and in that instant, you know that it's me, which is kind of what he's talking about, like the ability... For us to take the billions, trillions of parameters of reality and we can look at something and we instantly know what it is. And if we don't understand it, we still have probably some frame of reference for what it is. And this speed reading book was talking about that, like training your mind to look at the page and take in the words at a faster rate. Because, you know, a certain percentage of the words on the page, you know them already. They're common words like the word the. And so having something like that that's would be able to look at reality and look at it and, and acknowledge it and break it down as quickly as we have that will that will be something i would think that would help people with all sorts of you know problems with their brains and stuff mm -hmm. but it could also enhance the existing brain like imagine being able to speed read like data from star trek you know you just kind of flip through the page and you've got all the info because you have this brain implant that can scan words faster than the human brain can scan words. Mm. Um, if we were able to connect this to our uh, neocortex, we would basically add more of these uh, abilities to make distinctions. And it could ultimately be much smarter and also be attached to information that we feel is reliable. Um, so that's where we're headed. So you think that there will be a, a merger in the 30s, an right. increasing amount of merging between the either human brain and the AI brain. Exactly. And, and the AI brain is really an, an emulation of human beings. I mean, that's why we're creating them, because human beings act the same way, and this is basically to amplify them. I mean, this amplifies our brain. Hmm. Um, it's a little bit clumsy to interact with, but it definitely is you know, way beyond what, what we had 15 years ago. But the implementation becomes different, just like a bird versus the airplane. The Even though the AI brain is an emulation, it starts adding features we might not otherwise have, like ability to consume a huge amount of information quickly. Like look up thousands of Wikipedia articles in one take. Exactly. I mean, we can get, for example, to issues like simulated biology, where it can uh, simulate many different things at once. Um, 
we we already had one example of simulated biology, which is the Moderna vaccine. Here we go. Um, and and that's going to be now the way in which we create uh, medications. But they were able to simulate what each example of an mRNA would do to a human being, and they were able to simulate that quite reliably. And we actually simulated billions of different mRNA sequences. And they found the ones that, that were the best and they created the vaccine. And they did, and talk about doing that quickly, they did that in two days. Now, how long would a human being take to, to simulate billions of different mRNA sequences? I, I don't know that we could do it at all, but it would take many years. They did it in two days. And one of the reasons that people didn't like vaccines is because it was done too quickly. No, it was done too fast. Uh, and they actually included the time it, it took to test it out, which was 10 months. So, so they figured, okay, it took 10 months to create this. Actually, it took us two days. Yeah. And we also will be able to ultimately do the tests in a, in a few days as well. Oh, because we can simulate how the body will respond to it. Yeah. More and more now that's accurate. a little bit more complicated because the body has a lot of different elements and we have to simulate all of that. Uh, but that's coming as well. So ultimately, we could create it in a few days and then test it in a few days and it would be done. Uh, and we can do that with every type of medical in, you know, insufficiency that we have. So curing all diseases, yes. um, yeah. improving certain functions of the body, supplements, drugs for recreation, for health, for performance, for productivity, all that well, kind of stuff. Well, that's where we're headed. Because, I mean, right, right now we have a very inefficient way of creating these new medications. Um, but we've already shown it, and the Moderna vaccine is actually the best uh, of, the, of the vaccines we've had. Uh, and it literally took two days to create. Uh, and we'll get to the point where we can test it out also quickly. So that, I, I didn't know that. I did not know they had the ability to test things through simulations like that. That's... Uh, yeah, the last part of that is mind-blowing uh the the vaccine element and the reality of what that thing is and, and he only references moderna um but that template now has ushered in a completely different era of life yeah because um, you gotta you gotta consider all of the, the 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 diseases and the cancers and just the the brain diseases that people get, you know, uh, things like Alzheimer's mm. and things. Being able to simulate treatment, you know, not having to mm -hmm. test it on a person—that's that's huge. Now, this is all very positive, right? Sure. Um, but <laughs> like any innovation, there's a dark side, and. I mean, I feel like we should explore that in the next segment because the implications of a lot of this stuff were not discussed. No, no, because all. it always it always starts out good and then or well-intended. Yep. And yep. obviously movies attempt to 
flesh this out. You know, in mm-hmm. the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. I mean, there's that guy on the news broadcast talking about using the strength of a disease to attack a disease and, you know, putting the right person in the right car, essentially, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's oh, it's so well-intended. And then they obviously, <laughs> they they make a movie where it, it wiped out humanity, <laughs> the thing that they came up right. with. Right. So where we're going here is a discussion of why do human beings innovate and what is our nature you know the the nature of man is the is the question and there really are only two schools of thought on that um i guess you know if you want to dance in the middle there's a third school but we're we're either we're either coming from the angle of uh humanity's good by nature or we're selfish by nature and depending on where you stand with that question kind of dictates reality you know what i mean it would it doesn't just dictate reality it would dictate the way that you would attempt to constrain potential realities because you would be cautious you would be considering where certain things would take us and Mm -hmm. You know, if I was making a case, if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking like a lawyer, which I'm not a lawyer, but if I was thinking like a lawyer Mm -hmm. and this, this, this is on my, on my radar because I've been referencing Star Trek a lot because my wife and I've been rewatching it. And like, I think it was Mm -hmm. like in the first episode, Q, Uh, the next generation, like which, which, yes, the next generation. Okay. And Q puts humanity on trial, basically. Are oh, yeah. arguing that humans don't deserve to continue, and Picard is is arguing that humans have become great and better, and they've they've shed their problems. Right, they're not mm-hmm. violent and destructive any longer. Which the they're always wrestling with that in the show. Will yeah. will their 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 mission in the Prime Directive and the the changes that they've made. Will that actually usher in this new great era? And it always seems as though they struggle to usher in that new era. Somebody betrays somebody, somebody lies, somebody does something mm-hmm. that they shouldn't do. So if I were doing that, you know, if I was putting humanity on trial and saying, is humanity good or bad? There's just way to the, the amount of evidence that is against us is just it's insurmountable. The, the history of yeah. humankind yeah, just look look in the rear view. And if you're always saying it's done, it's it's the result of external causes, then that would make sense to have such a large amount of faith in technology. That's an external cause that could fix everything, right? Is it mm-hmm. is it lack of money, lack of education? Is it lack of technology? Is it are these people just uncivilized? And mm-hmm. If that's the fundamental problem with humankind or, or mankind is that it's all these external causes, we just need to fix the external things, then you're going to run, I think, farther with technology than someone who thinks differently might. Like, if we look at humanity differently, we would we would say, no, this is not the solution to man's problems. Hmm. On that note, I think we should jump to the next segment. Yeah, because I, I during, think that's I think that's where we're going. That's where we're going. During, we, got, we got to talk about that. So during the break, I'm gonna go um, treat my illness <laughs> with gargling. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. So he's going to do that. We're going to take a brief break. So if you enjoy these flyovers, these samples, I hope that you've chosen to do the the trenches or the debrief. We, we, we feel like those are, are a great way to segment the content as well as make it something that you can support where you see the value. So thanks for listening to the opening flyover here of Humans and Tech, a reaction. And we'll see you on the other side in the trenches in the debrief. Thanks so much for listening.